points to the day when all of God's people will dwell with God forever and ever. So the relationship that Adam and Eve had uh, in Eden, uh, we can have that. It can be restored. The law can't do that by itself. But the law points to what can. So if, if chapter 24 was all about relationship, listen, this is important. You can, you can go to sleep after this. If chapter 24 was all about relationship, the tabernacle, the, the chapters we just read, it is meant to explain this theology of relationship, right? The relationship that, we, that was emphasized by Moses in chapter 24, the tabernacle illustrates, symbolizes, explains, announces this theology of relationship. So as, the, as long as the tabernacle, tabernacle exists, it will always show that God desires a relationship with his people. And so we begin with this text. Well, before we dive into the, the chapter 25, let's look at, let's just examine the structure, the structure of these, of, of, the, of chapter 24, 25 and onward. Um, go to 25 verse 1. 25 verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, chapter 30, verse 11, Yahweh also spoke to Moses, saying, do you see that? Look at chapter 30, verse 17. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, look at chapter 30, verse 22. Moreover, uh, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, chapter 30, 34, then Yahweh said to Moses, 31, 1, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, 31, 12, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying. So that's the structure. That phrase divides uh, these segments. And you know, guess how many times that phrase was just used? Seven times. And seven represents what? Creation. Creation. And after the seventh time, look at verse 12. After the seventh time, it's you, that third chapter 31, verse 12. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, verse 13. But as for you, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh, who makes you holy. Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath. Right? Verse 15, Six days work shall, uh, may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Right? Verse 17, For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Do you see? So after the seventh time, after the seventh time, we see that phrase, Yahweh spoke to Moses. The seventh command, what follows that, deals with the Sabbath. Just like the seventh day of creation dealt with the Sabbath. So in other words, the entire arrangement of the tabernacle centers around creation. 
Genesis 1, to, 1 and 2. The tabernacle communicates creation. It communicates creation. I heard a story of a foreign student at a college, at a Christian college, and he saw the mascot of the Christian college. It was like an animal. I forgot the animal. A horse. It was a horse, a Mustang. And the student went to the, one of the professors and said, why do you have an idol here? You have an idol. We're, we're not supposed to worship idols. Why do you have this idol at every football game, every basketball game? And the professor said, well, it's not an idol. In America, it's a mascot, and mascots just represent the school and the team. <laughs> and we don't worship it, and it has nothing to do with God. We're not saying it's God. Like, to this foreigner... He, he had no, like, he couldn't understand what this meant. But to us, we, we know this, right? We, we instinctively know what a mascot is at a basketball game. Back then, in this time, buildings communicated something. And everybody knew what it communicated. So the tabernacle, it communicated, communicated creation and Eden, and everybody knew it. Like, you walk by, oh, oh that, that represents creation. Right. That was very obvious that, that it represented creation. Go to chapter 25, 9. 25, 9. It says, according to all that I'm going to show you as the so we're continuing with structure, continue with the structure of it. So we have the introductory statement that the, what, the, the tabernacle is based on a pattern that God will give them. Verse 9, according, 25 and 9, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall make it. And then there's, there's you have three similar sounding phrases where um, the, 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 where the word mountain is used. So go to um, go to uh, verse 40, 20, 25, 40. And you shall set them after the pattern for them which was shown to you on the mountain. You see the mountain, first time it's used. And then go to 2630. 2630. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan which you have been shown in the mountain. Right. Then go to chapter twenty-seven, verse eight. You shall make you, might, you shall make it hollow with planks, as it was uh, shown to you in the mountain. So they shall make it. Now, the so, so three times, right? This is how Mo, Mo, Moses organizes this the, the, this text. And the number three is connected to creation, because if you remember when I taught through Genesis, I told you that. Days 1, 2, and 3 of creation is connected with days 4, 5, and 6 of creation, right? And you saw that connection also in the 10 plagues. So in day 1, there's light and darkness. And what happens in day 4? Do you remember? God organizes the light. He creates the stars, the sun. He separates the light from the darkness, day and night, okay? So you see how 1 and 4 go together? He creates it, and then in day 4, he organizes it. Day 2... God separates the sky and the sea from each other. And then day five, God fills the skies with birds and he fills the sea with sea creatures, right? So he makes it, 
and then he, and then he fills it up, right? Uh, day three, God forms the land, right? Day three. Day six, what does he do? He puts the, the cattle and the animals and the humans, right? So days one to three, God creates. Days four through six, he organizes. And so this, so you have this, so number three, this day three, three days that represents really all of creation, all six days of creation. And the, or, again, the order of the tabernacle follows that three-day pattern. So chapter 25 deals with day one of creation, light and darkness. That's what you're going to see. Chapter 25 deals with day one, light and darkness. Chapter 26 deals with day two, the sky and the sea. And chapter 27 deals with day three, the land. You know if that's what we're going to see? And so there's, this is not random. What we just read is not random. There's this theology being displayed of God's presence with man in Eden. It's emphasizing this Edenic relationship with God. This is possible world. You, you know this tabernacle, tabernacle is to show you that the relationship that Adam, and, that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall, you can have that once more. You can have it again. And everybody would have known it back then. All right, let's go to chapter 25, day one. So everything in chapter five, chapter 25 will deal with the first day of creation with light and darkness. Well, before we kind of look at that, where we find that, go to verses uh, 1 through 7. Look at verse 2. Speak with the sons of Israel so that it, they, they take a contribution from me from every man whose heart is willing, you shall take my contribution. Notice this is, what kind of contribution? Are, do people have to give? Do people have to give? No, it's a free will offering. This is not a requirement. This, this is supposed to overflow out of the people's hearts. Paul uh, reaffirms this principle in 2 Corinthians 9-7 in how we're supposed to give monetarily today. So we don't have to give a percentage, right? We, it's, not, it's no longer 10%. It's, it's a free will offering, right? In the Old Testament, it wasn't, it wasn't 10%. It was really 22%, right? And that 20%, and because Israel was a theocracy, it was a kingdom, it was a government, that was your income tax, 22%. So that, that income tax supported the priest, the sacrifice, the temple, the king, the armies, the infrastructure, society. That, that 22%, supported the government, the society, worship, right? This theocracy. The church is not a nation anymore, right? It's a kingdom. I mean, it's not a, it's not a kingdom. It's not a nation. It's a, a, a group, right? A, a people. And you get taxed how much? 50%? Of 60%? I don't know. A lot. And then you the, what's, what's, what's left over, uh, you want to give sacrificially, you want to give joyfully. But it's not a set percentage like, like you had in Israel, right? Uh, so Christians, I mean, your income, I mean, in Israel, they, their after, after tax income, a lot higher than ours. It, is, it was what? It was like 68% <laughs> they, got to, they got to take home. Us, after all we give, it's like what? 40%. It's not a lot. It's a lot less. So just know that. Um, and you, but you have that principle in verse 2. You still have that principle of this, you know, you don't have to give. If you're, but if your heart is willing, you shall give that 
that, that. So verses two through seven, uh, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, rams. Where do you think they got it, got this from? Where do they get the, where, why do they have all this? Where did this come from? Yeah, remember the Egyptians gave them all this material before they left? And this sanctuary, verse 8, what's the purpose of this sanctuary? That I may dwell among them. What did, what did God do in the garden? He dwelled with Adam and Eve. In this sanctuary, in this tabernacle, God will dwell with his people. Verse 9. This is a pattern, though. It's, it's a pattern. Uh, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So this, is, this tabernacle is a model of something better. It's a model of something greater yet to come. It's kind of like if you, you, know, if you go to a new development, right? And you go, there's a model house. You go, ooh, this is really nice. It's a model of something better to come, or something real, that you can actually live in. The model here, this, 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 this uh, tabernacle, uh, it's, uh, it's a model of something even better than a, a, new, a new condominium uh, complex, right? This is a model of Eden, of the future. God dwelling with man. So, verses 10 through 22, we start with the ark. This is how you are to make the ark of the covenant. And we start with the ark because the ark is the most important part of the tabernacle. It's the most important. So you have to start here. The dimensions, uh, verse 10, there's cubits, uh, two and a half cubits long. Cubits are about, uh, one cubit is about 18 inches. So the ark was about 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. Right? Uh, this is where the God's glory will dwell. And what do you notice? What, what stands out? If you were looking at the ark in 10 through 22, what would stand out the most? What would stand out the most? Even today, it, 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 would, it would catch your attention. It would, it would be the first thing that would catch your attention. Well, let's say you didn't know anything about this theology of this. What would catch your attention? What would catch everybody? Everybody walking by, what would catch your attention? Especially in this day and age. But let's say you don't have, well, you don't know what the cherubim means. So that's got to catch your eye. Gold. The gold. They see it. Whoa. Look at all this gold. There's so much gold here. See, the gold represents God's glory. The light of God's glory. Day one. They won the light. Glory. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 6. I don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. He uses, he, he quotes Genesis 1 to describe our salvation. And he listen to him. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. That's Genesis 1, day one of creation, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So, again, chapter 25 is all about day one, the light, the glory of God. And the gold symbolizes the glory of God. 14 and 15. Look at verse 14 and 15. What is that? What's the purpose of the poles? 
so the ark is portable, right? It's movable. Is God's glory movable? Is it portable? Where do you see the portability or the movability of God's glory? Where have we, saw it, where have we seen it before in Exodus? Where will we, will we see it again in the Old Testament? Shekinah glory in the desert. Okay. Where else do you see God's glory in the Old Testament? Where it, where it moves. It's moving. Remember Ezekiel? The, the chariot. And it moves, right? Comes, moves all around. It, had, it can go in like different directions straight, right? It can go like this. It has like wheels. Portable glory, movable glory. And then it, just, it leaves the temple at the end of Ezekiel. So the glory is, God's glory moves. It goes to different places. Uh, what's in the ark? Verse 16. You shall put into the ark the testimony. The testimony are the Ten Commandments. The two tablets. One copy is God's. One copy is Israel. The law points to the light of God's glory. But what makes this glory possible to behold? How can we have this glory? How can we? Verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat. The word, is, the word for mercy is literally atonement. In order to have this glory, you have to have atonement. And so later we'll learn that Israel will use the mercy seat on the day of atonement. And only if there's an atonement can God dwell with his people. And God will dwell right above the mercy seat. Verse 21 and 22. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all which I command you for the sons of Israel. On the, on the atonement, you, this relationship that I will have with you, I will have it above the, of the, the atonement seat. It's the atonement that makes this relationship possible, right? The cherubim, again, it, that it emphasizes the movability, right? You saw the cherubim in, the, in Ezekiel, they're with God, moving all around. So the ark, what does it symbolize? The light of God's glory and his presence made possible only by an atonement. Right? That's what we see so far. Go to verse 23 to 30. 23-30. What, what stands out here? What stands out the most? What, what's going to stand out the most? The gold. Covered with gold. Uh, verse 25. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Make a gold border around it. The Verse 26. Four gold rings. Uh, poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. All the dishes, the pans, the jars, the uh, that's all pure gold. Like it's just it's just gold. This is God's glory. God's glory. And verse 30, on this table you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. What is the bread? What does the bread symbolize? What does the bread symbolize? It's not we're giving God food. God's not hungry. Like pagan gods you give food to, right? Oh, pagan god. Oh, deceased relative. Here, you know, I used to, I used to do that when I was in Korea. Every, uh, 
uh, was it? I forgot what holiday. One holiday, we you know you go to the grave site and you put get this really good food and there's incense and you bow to your ancestors and you and and of course they don't eat it, so you eat it. You eat it afterwards. You know, it's a great meal afterwards. Uh, so this is not that. This is not that. What does it symbolize? If it's not that, we're not giving God food. He's not hungry. What does the bread symbolize? What does it symbolize? Think, think of the New Testament to help you with the answer. And, and, and so what does the bread symbolize? Uh, oh, yeah, but it's not that we give him bread. He, he gives us bread, right? The symbol is God provides us. His presence benefits us. His presence provides for us. If God is with us, we'll never go hungry. Because he's the one who provides. Verse 30, 30, 31 through 40. What stands out again, guys? A gold. I mean, it, 31 through 40, really, the gold really stands out. Because you see the, uh, it says pure gold over and over. Verse 36, pure gold. 37, pure gold. 39, she'll be a town from pure gold. So this, this lampstand, man, it, like it, it just shines. It represents God's glory. And later on, we learn that it's always supposed to be lit 24-7. You're always supposed to keep the, the, this, this golden lamp lit to symbolize what? Remember the ark? The ark was a symbol of God's glory and his presence. The table uh, was a symbol that his presence provides and benefits. What is the what is this, the perpetual lighting of the gold golden lampstand symbolized? Peter? I didn't hear you. It's that God's glory is everlasting. Yeah, it's it's always present. He's always there. His presence is permanent. He'll never leave us. He's always with us. Okay, now look at the, you know, you got the three branches and you got the almond blossoms and you have a bulb and a flower and uh, and you have all, it's just these flowers. What is, what do these flowers represent? What do they represent? The Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden. That we can enjoy God's presence the way Adam and Eve enjoyed it, we can enjoy God's presence before the fall, like it was before the fall. Look at verse 37. What is the seven, what is the seven lampstands represent? Creation, yeah, creation, good. And so already you have bread, you have the oil would be made out of olives. So you had olive oil and you had bread, and those are the two main staples of agriculture. And so day one ends, verse 40, and see that you make them after the pattern for them which was shown to you on the, mount- on the mountain. So this is day one. Day one of creation ends. Now we go to day two, the sky and the sea. 
the sky and the scene. So the, this is the, chapter 26 is the, is the, the, the tabernacle. So it was like this rectangular tent, very fancy in the presence, and it would be uh, built. It would, you would, it would be portable. It would be set in the middle of the encampment. And so you had, uh, you had uh, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the east, uh, to the south, to the west, right? Three, six, nine, twelve. And, and God's presence would be in the middle of Israel, and uh, and uh, when they would 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 go somewhere, or when they would travel, when they would go out to war, the they would take the tabernacle, and the tabernacle would be the would start. So it'd be the the tabernacle would be in the front, and the rest of the tribes would follow would follow the tabernacle, right? So he, there would be the, the cloud of the fire, the cloud of the, 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 the angel, the angel of the Lord. There would be the, tab, the portable tabernacle being carried, and then the rest of the tribes. God would be leading them. His presence, he would be fighting for them. But when they camped, he would be in the middle. So the tabernacle would be, would be set in the middle. Now, verse 1, you have these ten curtains of fine uh, twisted linen. And the first color it mentions is blue. What else has the color blue? What else has the color blue? Yeah, the sky, the ocean, right? The purple, the scarlet, all the different shades. You ever look at a sky, sometimes you see blue and you see purple. You see a little red, right? Um, and so the... The tabernacle was a representation of Eden. And verse 6. Look at verse 6. You shall make 50 clasps of gold. So there's gold here. Why is there gold here? Why is there gold? Because God's glory fills the sky too. Right? It fills the sky as well. Verse 15. You shall make the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. What, what, what else was made of acacia wood? Go to 25 verse 10. What else was made out of acacia wood? What, what else was made out of acacia wood? The Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was made out of, of acacia wood. And the boards of the tabernacle, the walls of the tabernacle, they're made out of acacia wood. So in the same way, the ark was it it housed God's presence, so does the tabernacle. The sky will house God's presence. And the boards are overlaid with gold because it's filled with the sky is filled with God's glory. So that God's glory fills the ark of the covenant and it fills the sky. In verse 1, you see the cherubim there and uh, that's associated with God's glory as well. So, verse 30, verse 30 concludes day 2. Day 2 and verse 30. Uh, chapter 26, verse 30. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan, which you had been shown in the mountain. So, day 2 of creation ends. So, 26.31 to 27.21. Uh, now is day 3, the land. And look at verse... Um, so, you have the... You have the tabernacle, you have the tabernacle. Within the tabernacle, there's two compartments. There's the most holy place, 
In the most holy place, you have the lampstand, you have the table of presence, right? And then in the most holy place, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Right? And so, that, and so that's what you see here. Um, verse 34, you shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the Holy of Holies. You shall set, set it so that, and, and then you have a veil, there's a veil that separates the holy place and the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark. Then 35, you shall set the table outside the veil and the lamp stand opposite the table of this, on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. Right? And so you have these two places within the tabernacle. Right? And we know that nobody can enter this holy place except for the few priests. Uh, the Holy of Holies, one priest can enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. But for the most part, for most of the people, you can't enter the holy place. You can't enter the holy place or the uh, holy of holies. Paul, put on your jacket. Put on your jacket. Yes, you're cold. Put on your jacket. What does that symbolize? What is that supposed to show? The fact that you can't enter the holy place. What is that supposed to show? Yes. You're not holy. Okay? God's presence is there. It's the holy place. You're not holy, so you can't go in there. That's what it shows. Now, so in verses 1 through 8, you have the altar. A substitute needs to die so that you can live. Now, look at 9 through 21. And what stands out in 921? So, so you're, you're, you're an observer. You, you, you first observed the ark and the lampstand and the table. Now, this is the court outside the tabernacle. This is the court outside the tabernacle. And what do you notice about the court? The, 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 the court, the court of the tabernacle. Stop it. What do you notice? Paul, you just said stop it. I'm sorry? The bronze and silver? Yeah. There's no gold here. There's no gold in the court. Right? And it shows what? It's just not as holy. It's not, there's God's presence, holiness, the court where the rest of the people can stay, bronze and silver, unholy. There's, there's not much holiness. So you see a tension in the tabernacle, right? God wants you to worship him, but you can't draw near to him. You can't come close. Just a few people can. You're unholy. We're all unholy. But, and yet we're still invited to worship God. You can come in the courts. Um, the bronze and the silver show there's a separation. 
There's no gold here. And yet, you're still invited to worship. Look at verse 20 and 21, chapter 27. And you shall command the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually in the tent of the meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before Yahweh. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout the generations for the sons of Israel. So the only the the, the priests can go inside. Um, and where where the priests they can stay, they can stand in the most holy place. The most holy place where the ark is, only once a year, but for the most part, the priests can operate in the holy place. So they stand in between the Holy of Holies where God is and the people who are in the court. The priests stand in between. And they lead the people into the Holy of Holies. They lead the people to God's presence. Okay? They're, they're leading that people. Now, Israel is supposed to be what? A kingdom of priests. So as Israel would see the priests lead them into the worship, bring the, their, their offering to God, to the Holy of Holies, Israel would see their role. They would see, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to lead the, take, lead the world to the worship of our God. So the priest would provide this illustration of what the rest of the people would do. Right? Now the church is so much bigger and greater, right? Because our high priest, Jesus Christ, he offered a sacrifice of his own life Right? He died for our sin. He rose from the dead. And now he's the high priest who's in heaven in the Holy of Holies. And we access God through Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. And every day, Jesus reminds the Father, I died for these people. So they can come to you. So now we have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ, our priest. The tabernacle showed us all that. It pointed, up, it pointed to all of that. All right. And so, um, we don't depend on a priest, human priest, to lead us to the Holy of Holies, right? We already, we already, we already draw near, right? We already experience the presence of God in our lives, and we tell the world, "What I have, you can have. What I have, you can have." And so, uh, we don't need the tabernacle anymore. We don't need this example anymore. Because we, we should be experiencing this every day. Every time you pray. Every time you go to the Word. You should be experiencing this. And that experience of God's presence should motivate you. 
I need to, I need to, I need to bring somebody to, I need to help uh, somebody draw near to God too. I need to tell somebody the gospel. So your quiet times with God should be the best motivator, the best motivation for evangelism, right? Right? Because you're daily you go into the holy of holies, daily you go into into His presence. And and so immediately you should be like, you know what? I don't want to hog this. I don't want to keep this to myself. What a, this is so wonderful. I, why would I not tell, tell anybody how they can have this joy too? Right? Most of us, what do we do? We read the Bible in the morning, pray, we feel really good, and, and then we just keep it to ourselves. Right? We're so selfish that way. We're like, oh, this is, I'm not going to share this with anybody. This is all mine. See, that's a wrong approach to daily living, right? No, you take it, you feed, you draw near, and then you tell everybody you can. Peter, how was your morning? It was so awesome. It was wonderful. What, you, what, what, what kind of breakfast do you eat? Oh, I, 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 read, I, read, I read the Gospel of John, and I prayed to God. It, it's great. My mornings are awesome. Really? Yeah. Let me tell you how, to, how you could enjoy that, that meal too. <laughs> so that's, a, that's how it's supposed to be. Quiet time should, should, uh, should be the, the best motivation for evangelism. If you're having good quiet times, you should be, you should be the best evangel- evangelist. And if you're not a very strong evangelist, maybe it's because you're not, <laughs> you're not doing your quiet times. Maybe you're not having them. 